our Old Testament lesson. Genesis 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens, to give lights upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the great light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel according to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now for our second New Testament lesson, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please turn with me to the back of your Psalter hymnal, to page 876, and we will read responsively Lord's Day 9 of our Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 9, question 26, I ask you, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth, and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this, because he, mighty God, he desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Well, may the Lord now bless our time of reflection and teaching on this great and glorious doctrine of our father and creation. As we uh, come to this um, lesson, I always find it to be very important to remind us that as we come to the doctrine of God our Father, the first person in the Trinity, it is important for us to remember that we should not bring those false 
that we have seen and experienced within our own earthly fathers to bear upon him. God is the perfect father, and fatherhood is modeled after his eternal fatherhood. The problem then being is that sin has corrupted fatherhood. We could, of course, say the same thing when we reflect upon our mother, the church, and how Mother Church is this heavenly uh, city and concept, and that motherhood derives from her. Yet, once again, motherhood often falls short. So as we think about this view of God the Father, <clears throat> we must transcend the faults we have seen in our fathers and also transcend the good we've seen in our fathers. Because... God the Father is the transcendently good one, the transcendently blessed one. And so, I want to make that uh, mention of that as we get started. I want to begin by reflecting upon that doctrine of God the Father and the Father's person. As you recall from last week, I hope, as we think about the doctrine of the Trinity, we are affirming two things. We are affirming first that there is one divine essence. Essence is a synonym with nature, being, substance. There is one being whom we call God. Then we affirm that there are three persons who subsist in that divine being. They do not subsist in the div divine being in the same way, which is why there are three distinct persons. There is God the Father, then there's God the Son, and then there's God the Holy Spirit. They are not separated from each other. They each fully subsist in that divine essence. They fully share it. We do not want to subordinate one to any others, but rather we have three distinct persons. And today we think about the first person of the Godhead, God the Father. As we think about God the Father, we must affirm that he has something that distinguishes him from the Son and Spirit. If there is nothing that distinguishes the Father from the Son and Spirit, then we could say there are three fathers, or there are three sons, or there are three Holy Spirits. But of course, Scripture forbids that. So does the Athanasian Creed. So then we ask, what is it that makes the Father the Father? What distinguishes Him from the Son and the Holy Spirit? The Father is unbegotten. To state it differently, the Father has no source in terms of eternal processions. He is the beginning of the eternal divine processions. God the Father is that fountain of the other two persons. And as we think then about the Father, we think of him then as the one who, as you could say, doubly active and doubly fruitful. He is active first in actively begetting the Son. This is an eternal begottenness, of course. And so the Father is eternally active in begetting the Son. Secondarily, 
He is eternally active and breathing forth the Holy Spirit, who is breathed forth from the Father and the Son. So in this way, the Father is doubly active, and you could say doubly fruitful. And as we think about that, and as we think about this doctrine of creation, which we just read from Genesis 1, it was personally just heartwarming to me to read that text again and to think about this fruitful God, the Father. And to think about how fruitful and beautiful is creation. And how we have affirmed in the past in our series through the Athanasian Creed, we reflect about, upon how God, the Trinity, is blessed in His essence. God, the Father, is infinitely eternally happy. His happiness cannot be increased. He's overflowing in happiness and in blessedness and in joyfulness. And it is out of that divine pleasure, that eternal joy, that God the Father planned and decreed to create all things in the Son by the Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. And that fruitfulness and life would go forth from the Godhead. Many earthly fathers are not so joyful and blessed. Many earthly fathers are not so fruitful but can be destructive. But when we think about the fatherhood of God, we see one who is utterly constructive, joyful, I'm reminded of a phrase, I can't remember where it's from, but helpful nevertheless. That a father's laughter is his benediction upon his home. And in many ways, that is the kind of thing that we can see about our Father in heaven who out of joy, overflowing joy, acts and blesses creation. Our fatherhood being but a pale, a very pale mirroring of that. Our first point, the Father's person. Second, creation. This is a Trinitarian work. Even though we speak of the Father as creator, we are at this point using what are called Trinitarian appropriations. We speak about the Father as creator, the creed does, and scripture does. We speak about the Son as Redeemer and Savior. Scripture does. Our creed does. We speak about the Holy Spirit being sanctifier. Again, the creed does and Scripture does. But that doesn't mean that they do that all by their lonesome. Because how does the Father create? We just read that in John 1. The Father is the origin of the Godhead, so it's right that we credit Him and appropriate to Him creation. But how does He create? Through the Son, by the Spirit. Of course, the Son is our Redeemer. But how does the Son redeem? His redemption is of the Father by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, of course, the sanctifier. But how does the Spirit sanctify? Of the Father and of the Son. The triune persons work together, but we can appropriate to the persons certain distinct things 
Because scripture does. And then by derivation, the creed does. So we can talk about the Father being creator, but please don't understand by that that the Son and Spirit were absent. Genesis 1 verse 2 tells us, does it not? That the Spirit was hovering over the waters. Genesis 1 verse 1, and, and throughout the text, God is speaking. The Word is active. And so, creation is a truly Trinitarian work, as are all the works outside the Godhead, our Trinitarian works, oftentimes called works ad extra, all works outside the Godhead, our triune works. Third, let's think about creation and our confessions. Since the advent of what we could call the heresy of Darwinism, there have been many uh, questions and challenges made to Christian theology. And we rightly need to defend, the, defend Christianity and to defend our doctrine against accusations that would undermine it. I would also say, however, that sometimes we can go too far in terms of trying to over-answer everything rather than simply saying there are points where we just don't know. And so we want to emphasize that we have a confessional unity when we think about the doctrine of creation. In other words, we read certain things within our Heidelberg Catechism from Lord's Day 9. We also read certain other things from Belgic Confession, Articles 13, or sorry, 12, 13, and 14. And in these uh, articles, we come to that confessional consensus in terms of how we then affirm creation in unity. So how do we view these things in unity? Uh, Synod Escondido, 2001, has a very helpful um, report on creation. If you'd like a link to that later, I can send that to you. And it works through our confessions to say, here's what we affirm as a federation of churches. The main points are these. We affirm, one, that creation is from nothing. Fancy Latin, ex nihilo. That God did not create from some pre-existent matter. There is no eternal matter. God is the only eternal being. And so creation began ex nihilo, or out of nothing. Second, we affirm a historical Adam. If you don't affirm a first Adam, you are in no position to affirm a second Adam. That there is no death within the lineage of Adam. But Adam is specially created from the dust, and then from him comes forth the human race. If you lose that, you're going to lose the gospel. Because the scripture is established as a two-Adam story. Lose one, you lose the other. Introduce death without sin in the human lineage, you cannot rightly understand the cross and atonements of Jesus Christ. Adam cannot be the product of evolution, in other words. He is specially created for a special task which sets the stage beautifully for that one who comes from the dust of Mary's womb, our second Adam and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
to whom be praise forever and ever. Amen. And so as we move then from historical Adam, our report also affirms the special creation of creatures according to their kinds. That flying things were created to fly, that swarming things were created to swarm, that swimming things were created to swim. All these things did not derive from a rock over the course of millions and millions of years. But rather, God gave them their being, shape, form, and several callings. At that point, our assembly decided to stop and to not further define things because that's how far our confessions went. But I would make note for us that the mainstream view within our Reformed tradition and in the URC, the mainstream view is to have a view of creation as six 24 hours. But we are not confessionally bound to that. We are bound to the other things I mentioned. The mainstream is a view of 624. And so even if you don't believe that, you should esteem it and not degrade it. Because that is the main understanding of our churches and of our heritage. But we can say that something is mainstream without also saying that it is confessional. Or it is not. So, we've considered the Father's person. Second, creation as a Trinitarian work. Third, we've reflected upon creation itself and our confessional teaching. And fourth, we just urge you to revere your Father. For after all, that is one of the things we see in Scripture as children are encouraged toward their earthly fathers. And so, again, by extension, we look at how we are then to approach that Father in heaven. We approach one who is not harsh. We approach one who's not just waiting for us to mess up so he can go off the rails on us. We approach one who is joyful, one who is fruitful, one who is full of blessing, flowing forth from his Son and Holy Spirit. We come before one who is powerful also, who is sovereign also. We come before that joyful one, that almighty one, that one that transcends all earthly fathers. We come before the Creator, God our Father. And may we, brothers and sisters, learn more and more to love Him, more and more to revere Him. For indeed, He is the one who sent forth the Son for our redemption. And He with the Son, have sent forth the Holy Spirit for our sanctification. The Father is there in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know His compassion love for you? Do you want to know that? Look at the face of Jesus, who told us, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Do you want to know how intimate your Father is with you? Then look to the Holy Spirit. For after all, what has the Spirit done? He has been breathed forth and sent forth from heaven on high to dwell inside of us and thereby to bring us the Father and Son from whom He proceeds. Your Father loves you. He is intimate with you. He rejoices over you in Christ. Learn to love Him. Learn to revere Him. For after all, he has first loved us. Amen.